Talat, I want to argue, I want to debate these things. So he's gone very intellectual in his references, but he's going he's gonna to dumb it down and go, guys, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't make this more obvious for you with these references. Um, all right, so we'll start off with Israel's rebellion. So the reference we'll have, uh, really it's the entirety of the, uh, of the book of Numbers, but we'll specifically call out uh, uh, verse 26 to 35, so you don't need to turn there again, I've, I've got them all up on the screen, feel free to write them down, but um, uh, if I'm not reading them out I'll let you know, but uh, uh, I'll, I'll read this one out for you. So Numbers 14, 26, um, and the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear this evil congregation, which murmur against me? I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As, I, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Now we've got sort of this, this concept of condemnation. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upwards, which have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I spake, uh, sorry, concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb and Joshua. So the two spies that gave a good report are the only two. And as I was dwelling on this over the week, I thought we're talking about rebellion here. But just as an aside, you've got two individuals that gave a good report they still had to wander the wilderness during that time period as well. Became leaders eventually. But can you imagine the frustration that they would have had at that point in time to go, we're at the edge of this promised land. We've come back with a good report, but we're all in this. We've got to wander for that period of time as well. There would have been something in their heart. They could have rebelled against that, but they took it on the chin. And, and it's a stark contrast to, I guess, a lot of the rebellions that happen here. God has a will for us. We might not like it all of the time, but we need to recognise it's not really our choice to, to question that. Um, so it's, it's not uh, fully related to what we're talking about, but it was just something, I guess, to, to, to think about, that you still had these two individuals that effectively had to suffer the same consequences of punishment of those around them, but ultimately they got to lead all of those children into the promised land, and I think that would have more than made up for it in my mind, um, being able to, 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 to make, that, that make that journey. Um, so I'll, I'll jump back into Jude just so that we can get through those three examples. But I just kind of wanted to, to emphasize what was happening with Israel's rebellion. Um, so starting in verse 5 in Jude, it says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this. Right? He's, he's, he's already calling it. You, you know these stories already, but I'm going to call them back to you. How that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterwards, destroyed them that believe not. And we've got this second example of the angelic rebellion. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So he's keeping them for the judgment. The, the, the terms in verse 6, kept and reserved, the same thing. He's keeping them for the day of judgment. In verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So in each of the three examples, we've got what they've done and this divine judgment. What they've done, divine judgment. What they've done, divine judgment. And these three examples uh, uh, speak to that. Now, in this example, there would have been individuals that were saved. I mean, how could you not recognise the authority of God? You've been led out of slavery without having to fight. 
You've walked out of that land. Pharaoh turns around and says, well, I'm, I've changed my mind. Didn't have to fight. The Lord took care of them. They've crossed an ocean, dry. They've, they've then, in the wilderness... I'm hungry. The Lord provides them food. I'm, I'm not quite happy with this. I'm a little bit over this. He provides them something else. They see the promised land. He takes them all the way to the edge of it. And the moment that they need to really do something for themselves, which is that contending for the faith, I need to rely on the fact and have faith that the Lord will deliver us into this promised land. I think we might be better off in Egypt to the grumblings that you hear. And that was the last straw at that point. So these individuals, they would have been saved individuals. You're following a column of, 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 of a cloud and a, and a pillar of fire at night. Food's literally falling out of the sky for you. To be able to then still, at the end of all of that, when you've come right to the edge of the deliverance of this salvation into a promised land, to still grumble against it, to still murmur against it. And these are terms Jude, Jude uses in his epistle later on. That, that, that was enough. Um, uh, at that point, and as we read in Numbers, that, that punishment was this, was this destruction. Now Jude uses a very interesting term here um, when he uses the word destroyed. So uh, the Greek word that we've got here, the concept behind it is to completely destroy. Now, I don't have a Strong's number against this as I do with others, and that's because uh, Strong's, as, as, as good as it is, there are some differences in very specific terminology and our understanding of the language over time has developed. There are other uh, uh, translations, again, other than the King James uh, Version, and I'm, I'm not going to get into any of the specifics of that, but it is, um, it is understood that there is a specific word that's used, and it's only used three other times in the Bible um, outside of the, the Epistle of Jude, and all three of them are spoken by the Lord. Uh, Jesus, that is. There's one in Matthew, and they're all in relation to, to parables and stories of destruction. The first one's a parable, and that's of the king's wedding feast. Um, and, and these are the ones that you can look up in your own time, but this is a, a parable that he told of a king that was throwing a feast for his son. And the first individuals that he invited around, they didn't want a part of it, and they were completely destroyed. And it's this concept of, of, of eradicated, wiped out, that was it for them. And that's what happened to the, 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 the grumblers and complainers above the age of 20 in Israel. They, they fell in the wilderness. That's where they were. They were destroyed. There was none beyond that age that entered other than the two that had given good report. The other uh, example is in Luke, and that's the, uh, the, the uh, flood of Noah. And then we've got... The other one, which we will get to in the third example, but it is this, this repeating theme, the destruction of Sodom. So uh, in, in these references, it's, it's the Lord talking. He's giving one parable and two stories from the Old Testament, and it's this concept of completely destroyed. Now, the condemnation that, uh, that the Lord put through. So in each of these, as I said, we've got what, what has occurred, what that rebellion is, these individuals that failed to contend for their faith, that didn't stand on the salvation that was delivered, that didn't quite, didn't quite accept the Lord's will for them or out and out rejected it, as we'll see. But this is, this is, I didn't stand on that word. So they, being the people of Israel, abandoned their faith in God's provision, this provision of, of, the, of the salvation, uh, the, this physical representation of salvation that we have um, eternally, um, but, but this, this delivering into a promised land, they didn't stand on God's provision. They rebelled against his authority and will, and there was a condemnation. Now, there's several references there, but I'll focus on the last one from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, uh, 17 to 19. 
But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not, so that they could not enter in because of unbelief? So there was an unbelief here, an unbelief of Israel towards God and his provision for them. And they rebelled against it. It might not seem like a rebellion is a shaking of a fist and, a, and a, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of this um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not accepting of your will. This was, this was, I guess, in relation to all of the examples, one of the more passive ones, but it was a questioning of God's authority and will over them. I will deliver you to this point. Have I not done enough to show you what I can do, what my power and majesty is, and that I have saved you every time. You haven't had to lift a, a sword or a spear against any of your enemies. During that time, I mean, if there's, if there's any more vulnerable individuals in that time period, walking around in tents and in caravans and, 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 and walking that way, you were absolutely able to be picked off very easily by anybody. They were protected that entire time. And still at the edge of the promised land question, that was their rebellion. And they, they, got, they incurred God. Um, God's wrath at that point. So, we'll we'll get into something a little bit different here, a little bit extracurricular. Um, it's 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 interesting, but I'll, I'll need to make some clarifications in relation to this up front. So, in the uh, flipping back to Jude in verse six, we've got the angels which have not kept their first estate, but left their habitation. That's 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 this rebellion, this angelic rebellion. Um, now, the reference that's made here, a lot of people upon first reading are thinking about that initial fall of Satan and the rebellion against God's authority over them and that initial fall. But the reference that he's actually making uh, can be found in the book of Enoch, which uh, the, the, the reference for Enoch and, and who he is as an individual can be found in, uh, in Genesis um, chapter 5. Sorry, I didn't click through. Uh, chapter 5, 18 to 24. Um, and it has the, the reference that normally makes the, uh, the, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, as I'm sure it does for many of you as well. Apologies, I'm just trying to find my spot here. Um, apologies. Um, so uh, it is uh, the, the specific reference uh, that I'm talking about here is Genesis 5, verse 24, which is, And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. And that just, it's, it's this amazing vision that I'm sure is conjured in many of our minds um, when we read that. So Enoch is, is in the book of Genesis, is the great-grandfather of Noah. Um, and his book specifically, and I need to, to clarify this, it's underlined for everybody. It is not and has never considered to be part of the canon of Scripture. This is an extra-biblical um, source book. There were many of them that ran in parallel with the Bible. Um, it's not part of the canon of Scripture. It doesn't mean that it's to be necessarily dismissed primarily because it doesn't form part of the, uh, the, the, the canon of Scripture. But again, these are, these are extra-biblical texts that sit in parallel and the people that he was talking to were very familiar with these. So um, it's apocalyptic in nature, which means that it's concerning Revelation. There are only two texts that are included in canon that, that, that meet that definition. That's Daniel and Revelation. And to clarify the terminology here, um, it is apocalyptic literature. And that was a very popular genre in, in early Christendom uh, and in Judaism, even going prior to that. 
Um, and it's not to be confused with uh, eschatological literature, which is concerning the end times. So a lot of us, when we think of the word apocalypse, we think of end times. There's a, there's a terminology difference here um, in relation to, to what we're talking about here. So apocalyptic means it's a, it's a revelation, a, a revealing of um, um, either God's plan or things that are to happen uh, for us. So the book of Enoch uh, is about 108 chapters. Um, I've, I've got a copy of it here, one of the translations that's, uh, that, that, that exists. Um, it, uh, over time, many elements of this have either been lost or distorted, and the, it's not been preserved in the same way that our Bible has over this time period, which is, again, why it, part of the reasons why it doesn't form part of the canon of Scripture. So, uh, in the book that we're talking specifically about, uh, or the reference, sorry, that Jude makes is coming from the, uh, the book of the Watchers, um, and this term of Watchers is, is a, a substitute for the word angel, effectively. Um, he introduces his book uh, with him being the, the author of, um, of the text, uh, Enoch, and he basically says that everything that's presented within his book was presented to him by God through visions. Um, and the story of the Watchers as it exists here is really what's happening in Genesis 6, verses 1 to 4, but with a lot more detail. Uh, and that's, that's basically the precursor to the flood. Um, and what we have is, is there's a lot of stuff that Enoch goes through. He's, he's taken up to heaven and given visions, comes back down, consults with angels, both um, that, that, are, that are in God's favour and ones that have fallen out of God's favour. Um, and it's a very... It's a very dense book. Um, he, he travels through space at one time, and there's there's a lot of things that go on in it. And um, and I don't mean to make make light of what's happening in there, but it's a very dense read. Um, and I don't want to get into much of the detail other than the references that Jude makes, which I think are uh, are important ones to go through, obviously, and important enough for Jude to include it as an epistle, and important enough for it to be been preserved through time for us to be able to to, to look at today. So. One of, the, uh, one of the major references that he's talking about here, uh, when he's uh, talking about the, effectively their punishment and, and not keeping their first estate, so not keeping the roles that they had, the, the, the responsibilities that they had, and their punishment, their, this reservation or this being kept in everlasting change under dark, darkness, under the judgment of the great day. So that's the reference that we've got in Jude. So the Book of the Watchers, of the 108, it represent, uh, 108 uh, chapters, as they were. Um, the first 36 relate to the Book of Watchers. And there are a lot of dooms or, or punishments that are pronounced on the angels. So effectively, uh, I'll do a very, very quick recap here. But um, the reference that is made in Genesis in, in relation to uh, there being giants in the land... Um, it's kind of expanded upon here in the book of Enoch and again this is non-canonical take it for what it is um, some people uh, look at this book as I guess a fable that sits alongside the Bible some people would put more emphasis on it I'll, I just need to clarify it's not part of the canon of scripture so take and, and guard your own heart as it were to, to whatever extent you need to here um, so what we have is a description of these angels there's a particular group led by an individual and I'm not going to go into any of the names, um, but effectively they are there in heaven. They have this, this communion with the Lord, uh, the, uh, communion to the extent that it's a conversation. They have this peace, they're, they're in heaven, they're able to travel down to the earth and, and perform the tasks as, the, as God would see fit and travel to and from heaven and the earth. And there's a group of individuals and it says that they, they see women um, on the earth and they lust after them, they have a lust in their heart for them. They go down there, 
and not only do they enact on that lust physically, uh, their children are born, and that's the reference that, uh, that many are taking in the book of Genesis to be the giants. Those are the children, the offspring of this. Um, and effectively, the, the other angels that are up in heaven that haven't rebelled against God's will for them and that are carrying out their tasks as they need to and are still in that perfect, perfect relationship with the Lord, they see what's happening down on the earth. And not only did those angels go down in there and perform those tasks, but they also brought down magic, um, uh, weapon crafting. Um, there's, there's all sorts of things that they brought down, this, this very worldly wisdom that they brought down and, and brought to man. Um, things that it basically says in the book of Enoch were known in heaven that were not known on the world. So they brought, the, again, this, this other factor of sin down. Um, they, they, they showed them how to make, uh, as I said, weaponry and, and, and all sorts of things. So the, the reference that we've got here that I want to take you through um, is now Enoch's been called up to heaven. Um, and, and whether or not that's a reference to what's in, happened in Genesis, I'm not going to get into. But again, in his book, he's made reference to the fact that he's been called up to heaven. Uh, and I'll start in, in chapter 12, verse 3. It says, And I, Enoch, was blessing the Lord of, ma- of majesty and the king of ages, angels. And lo, the watchers called me, Enoch the scribe. So he, he refers to himself as a scribe of the angels. He writes down the things that they, they ask him to. And said to me, Enoch, thou scribe of righteousness, go declare to the watchers of heaven who have left the high heaven, the holy eternal place, and have defiled themselves with women, and have done as the children of earth do, and have taken unto themselves wives, ye have wrought destruction on the earth. So it was not just what they did, but the other things that they brought have brought destruction and bloodshed down on the earth. And ye shall have no peace, nor forgiveness of sin, and inasmuch as they delight themselves in their children... So these offspring, the murder of their beloved ones shall they see, and over the destruction of their children shall they lament, and they shall make supplication unto eternity. But, and this is, this is the, the, the condemnation here, and it's a heavy one, mercy and peace ye shall not attain. Now we're talking about the, the, the references in verse 2, mercy, peace, and love. Mercy and peace ye shall not attain. You won't get these from me. You've, you, you've, you've, you've done it. You've, you've had your dash, as it were. Um, and one of the specific references actually comes a little bit earlier uh, in the book of Enoch. It does jump around a little bit uh, in chapter 10, verse 4 to 6. Um, there's a specific uh, angel um, uh, that, 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 that specifically brought down this, this concept of war, basically. Uh, and again, the Lord said to one of the angels, I'm not going to name any of them, uh, but the Lord said to one particular angel that was in good report, bind this other angel, the, the, the one that, uh, that brought this, sin, uh, this additional sin into the world. Bind him hand and foot and cast him into darkness and make an opening in the desert and cast him therein and place, upon him, uh, place him upon rough jagged rocks and cover him with darkness and let him abide there forever and cover his face that he shall not see light. And on the day of great judgment he shall be cast into the fire. So we're talking about this concept of, of kept and reserved in verse 6. It's, it's this, there's a punishment coming. I'm going to keep you in that punishment. And then at the day of judgment, it's going to get worse. Um, so, so that's all I'll do on the book of Enoch for today. And, and I know it can be interesting to get into some of these things. But as we can see later on, Judah is also talking against not getting involved in a lot of these things. But he's, it's, it's interesting that he uses an example from an extra biblical source. Um, and then later on almost says, well, be careful of wading into those waters. Stick to what you know, stand on the faith, contend for it. What we've got in the scripture is what we need to do. 
But by putting these things in there, they're interesting. His letter would have been passed around more. It would have been discussed more. It would have been debated more amongst individuals as to why it was included and what it meant for them. So again, they, the angels in this regard, abandoned their God-appointed position. They rebelled against his authority and will and that condemnation that we just read out um, in relation to that, actually, 14.4.5. That was a secondary reference. My apologies. Um, so this is after the uh, apologies, this is the condemnation part here coming up again Um, what we spoke about was a specific angel Um, there was a point in time that those angels that had rebelled then called Enoch over and said can you you write a letter for us, can you petition God on our behalf and apologise for what we've done so picking it up in in 14, uh, 4 and 5 he says I wrote, this is Enoch talking, I wrote out your your petition and in my vision so this is God speaking back to him after after, um, handing that petition over as it were to God Um, And it appears as thus, that your petition will not be granted unto you throughout all the days of eternity, and that judgment has been passed upon you, your petition, uh, it will not be granted unto you. And from henceforth you shall not ascend into heaven unto eternity, and in the bonds of the earth the decree has gone forth to bind you for all the days of the world. So again, this concept of keeping until the end of the world, and then to be cast into the lake of fire. This is an important one here. They, they, that, that rebellion, it's, it's uh, sorry, the, the terminology that's used here is that um, they shall not ascend into heaven, right? And that's this concept of being able to be at peace with the Lord in, in heaven here. And there's a, there's a reason I wanted to emphasize that peace. We'll come back to it. So now we're coming up to verse 7. So even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Again, being kept until this day of judgment. So what are we talking about here? This is Genesis 19, and this is, again, the complete destruction of Sodom. Now, it's complete to the extent, and we will get to it, there was nothing left at the end of this one. Um, this, this, was, this was a complete destruction, very, uh, very similar to what we were talking about earlier on. The, the terms that we used uh, in the first example used by the Lord, this concept of complete destruction. So I want to make a distinction here um, when we talk about uh, uh, love, I guess, versus lust. This concept of Christian love, this agape love, it's a love that seeks a betterment of another. It's not a selfish love, and we talk about that in love, love is... Um, uh, not selfish, love is kind, etc. But it, it, it's in contrast, it's in the contrast that Jude wants to, to emphasise his, um, his idea here, um, as opposed to this concept of lust, which is a love, specifically a forbidden love, um, not as in a, 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 a um, you know, you're not to date that individual, but forbidden in the extent that this is something that is not right. It is, it is not just that it's not right socially, it is, it is absolutely abhorrent to the Lord. And it seeks to satisfy itself. Um, apologies, I've lost my spot. So the other term that he uses at the beginning of this is even as, which is very much like a likewise. So what he wants to do is draw a parallel to what's happened with the angels in verse 6 and what's happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and he's saying it's, it's basically as bad as what's happened in, in the book of Enoch. Uh, it's linked to the previous, not due to the sin, but rather the divine judgment that's been carried out, this concept of being kept and then for total destruction. Um, and this is also a hearkening back to verse 4 from last week, which is this, this concept of lasciviousness, which is a corruption of, of God's will for them. Um, so the reference that I'll make here 
So again, they, being the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, abandoned God's laws and rebelled against his authority and will. And his condemnation in this particular uh, aspect can be found in Genesis 19, 24 to 25. And I'll read that one out for you. And the Lord raid upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. It was everything. The vegetation, the buildings, the people, it all went. It was complete. And unlike a lot of the other uh, locations that are in the Bible that were destroyed, this was never rebuilt. This was gone. It was wiped from the face of the planet um, at that point. So there's a lot to take in here, but I'll just do a little bit of a recap. Again, coming back to this concept of turning grace, uh, the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Now, I'll I'll pause here for a moment. This is something that I've come up with. um, And again, guard your hearts against it. It it resonated with me and it's something that I feel is right. I hadn't read it in any of the commentaries that I did in relation to the uh, the setup for this. It's not to say it doesn't exist somewhere else. So I'm not claiming that I've come up with it, you know, um, uh, and that that it's mine, but more it, it resonated with me. If we have a look back in Jude at verse two, the triplets that we have there, mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. These grace gifts that cannot be obtained on our own, they happen in that order. We receive mercy from the Lord. We have peace in that relationship with him and we extend that peace out to others through this brotherly love. The three examples that we have. Israel's rebellion. They received mercy from the Lord and they rejected it. The angels had perfect peace with the Lord in heaven and could commune with him and be with him. But they sought that peace elsewhere. They sought it in in lust. They thought, I've got this, but I might have something better down here on earth. They rejected that. And Sodom and Gomorrah turned love into something selfish. So the very three grace gifts that we've got in verse 2 are represented in their opposites, in their corruption, in that converting of the grace gifts, the grace of our God, into lasciviousness, into something that is corrupt, that is perverted, that is not what God intended for us. So... Whether or not that was Jude's intention, I'm not too sure, but I definitely see a parallel between the three examples that were brought forward and the three grace gifts that he makes reference to in verse 2. So the indecent or seen behaviours, it's very much a behaviours thing that Jude is warning us against. So yes, we've got these three examples, but how do they relate? So the behaviours that we've got exemplified in these texts, it's questioning of God's provisions. He's setting us up for, hang on, think about what's happening in your congregation, the people around you. They're seeking pleasure and peace outside of God's kingdom and dominion. And there is an immorality, specifically sexual, that is self-serving and self-satisfying. These are indicators that someone's heart isn't where it needs to be, that these are unsaved individuals. Again, we're talking about men that have crept in unawares, that are ungodly men. These aren't saved individuals that have stumbled or tripped. These are individuals that are rejecting seeking peace outside of the scripture, outside of God's dominion and kingdom, and they are only performing these acts of love for selfish reasons. Now, when we talk about love here as well, and and, and why I had sort of sexual in in, in brackets here, this extension of a brotherly love is, is something that isn't sexual in nature. There is also love that can be done that is not sexual in nature, that is a hug when someone needs it, a kind word, a pat on the back, whatever it might be. It doesn't need to be physical, but it's the concept of, of turning that into something that's selfish, the, the reasons for it and the whys. 
So that's just something I, I wanted to bring up. So these are ultimately deviations from Christian behaviours. They have failed to contend for the faith. We need to learn from those behaviours so that we can avoid the consequences. Man, we are running through, running out of time here. All right. So now that we've got these three examples, we step into verse 8. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. We've got another triplet here. They defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. These are the same three concepts that we've looked in the previous example as well. Now, likewise, he's saying in the same way, you've got these three examples, you know them, you're aware of what these are, but in the same manner, this is happening amongst you. Now, the term dreamers here that he's got, there are three references to this that I, that I sort of wanted to highlight. There's um, one in Deuteronomy 13, verse 1 to 5. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder come to pass whereof he spake unto thee saying let us go after other gods which thou hast not known and let us serve them. So it's basically saying if someone's coming to you and telling you I've had a dream, a vision and it seems right and you're following them there's, there's this path. Hey, maybe we should start thinking about these other things that sit outside of God. And we, when we're talking about going after other gods this is a small g here. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams, or that prophet. <clears throat> oh, sorry, or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you. You know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. He's saying, don't. It might seem impressive. They might have done something that's wonderful. But you know yourself that you are to follow God's word and his provision for you, his salvation. Stand on that. Um, other references that exist uh, in relation to this are in Jeremiah chapter, uh, sorry, chapter, my, uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23 to 40, and uh, Colossians 2.18, which I'll read out, which is, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshipping of angels. So he's saying, don't let anyone tempt you into looking at angels and we're, we're, you know, this, this concept of Catholicism might sneak in here. Um, but, but don't let anybody introduce anything outside of the Lord's word here. Introducing those things which he hath not seen. So he's not talking on anything that, you, that he knows about. He's unsaved. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Vainly puffed up by his fleshy mind. Right? And we will, we will get into sort of the philosophy of the day next week, Lord willing. But, but this concept of it, it, it might seem right. There might be things that are laid out before you and go, this, this has a, a, a sense of truth. But when you're comparing it to scripture and you're contending for your faith, it falls apart. So again, we've got this rule of three sitting here. They defile the flesh, this concept of sexual immorality. They despise dominion. They reject God's authority. And they speak evil, where we get this term um, of, of blasphemy and of dignities here, which is glory. They're defaming God's glory, his authority and their will. It, it all comes back to the same thing. The examples might vary, the individuals might vary, the times, locations, places, and the, the, the extent of that rebellion might vary, but it all comes down to the same thing. You can identify these individuals by their behaviours and how they act, and the, the, basically the fruits of their works, as it were. All right, I'll go one more example, and then um, or one more verse, and then we might need to leave it there. So, verse 9. Um... Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a rallying accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. The Lord rebuke thee. Sorry. 
So this is actually a reference to another um, uh, uh, sort of parallel with, with Scripture, another text that exists. Uh, it's the Assumption of Moses. It's also known as the Testament of Moses, and it's said to contain the prophecies of Moses that were given to Joshua before his death. So although this one specifically involves Moses' death, it's still meant to have been written by him or, or prophesied by him. Again, I need to emphasize, this is apoph- apocryphal Jewish text, meaning that it is not and has never been considered part of the canon of the Hebrew Scripture. So again, he's calling out something that the people were aware of at the time. They would have been very aware of this story. These would have been things that people grew up with in that culture. They're a little bit more removed for us now. Again, are they to be dismissed because they're not part of canon? Not, no, not necessarily, but they're also not to be stood on. It's just a reference. It's, a, it's, it's, it, it's an example that is calling to their minds. Um, there is only a single and incomplete Latin translation of the manuscript that exists, and even that version doesn't contain the very specific story that, that Jude makes reference to here. Um, and effectively, the story is that there was a disagreement between the archangel Michael and Satan after Moses' death, and Satan effectively declares that the body or the soul, depending upon the, the, the text that you're reading or the translation or the commentators on it, effectively the devil saying, Moses is mine. Uh, and he, he, he says he was a murderer, and we see that in Exodus 2, 11 to 14. He killed a man, that's mine, he, he's mine. Right? Now Michael, in, in this background, um, as, a, as an archangel, the head of all angels, the power that would have been given to him or that, that he holds is, is immense. But in that particular moment, when Satan came along and effectively blasphemed against... Oh, I've gone the wrong way. My apologies. Blasphemed against Moses and said he was a murderer despite all of the wonderful things and the faith that he had had during his life. Michael didn't stand up to the devil. He said, the Lord rebuke thee. This is an example of someone contending for their faith. He knew full well his position in relation to the Lord. He knew what he could do. Um, the term rebuke here is admonish. This is an, a reminder to us through this example that this epistle is a lens to look at individuals through, not to judge, not to condemn. If Michael, the archangel of the Lord, is not judging the devil in relation to blaspheming against Moses, what are we supposed to do here? It is all the Lord's condemnation. It's his judgment. And those three examples that we've got of the rebellion against him are all the Lord's condemnation put out. Man had no part of it. Let's recall the, wheat, uh, the, the parable from last week of the wheat and the tares. It is not up to us to pull these individuals out of the congregation. The Lord will take care of that. Yes? Very true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There would have been a there would have been a history at that point. Um, very true. So yes, there, there there was definitely that relationship preceding the fall as well for these two. Um, so I'd like to go further. I did have a, a couple more verses that I'd like to go through, but I'm very mindful of time and people waiting out in the hallway. So um, I might see if I can uh, extend this uh, further into into uh, another month. But um, I'll have to talk to Pastor about that one. But anyway, I'm still around for next week. But um, but I might need to leave it there, um, and we will, yeah, I'm not going to have time, sorry, I'm just having a look to see if I can do it, um, no, there's not going to be enough time to get into that, so, uh, all right, I'll leave it there, I might um, uh, close with a prayer, but, uh, but thank you all for uh, listening to me. <clears throat> uh, Lord, we thank you that, uh, again, we could, we could go through um, the specifics of your word, 
uh, in more detail this morning. I thank you, Lord, that, uh, that we were able to see consistency in your application and your will for us. Then in each of these examples, it's, uh, it's human to focus on the condemnation and to, to, to want to avoid that at all costs, Lord. But we know that instead of having to um, contend in a regard that is, is uh, trying to avoid these footfalls, the Lord, you've got our path set out before us. You don't want us to trip. You don't want us to stumble. And we need only to lean on your word to avoid these trappings, Lord. So we ask that you would uh, continue to help us be diligent in our earnestly contending for your faith. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, that we have your word to stand on and we ask that you would help to guard our hearts and, uh, and, 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 and keep us until your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.